we target the same profit margins in both businesses, we're actually more profitable on the construction side. And the reason is that our overhead's a little more right-sized for that business. On the maintenance side, because of higher turnover, more call-ins, things like that. Welcome to the Small Business Mentor Podcast, where we shine a light on the black holes of business growth with your host, Alan Pence. In each episode, we explore the leaps and bounds entrepreneurs make as they push their businesses beyond the 1 million mark into the realm of professional sustainable growth. Stay with us as we navigate the journey from brute force to finesse. Hey, welcome to the Small Business Mentor. We've got with us today Malcolm Marshall with Poolology. Thanks for coming on the pod today, Malcolm. It's good to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alan. So we got to know each other on X or Twitter or whatever we want to call it now. And we were kind of trading notes about compounding, investing in your business. And I was kind of saying, hey, it's, you know, I invested for a long time. I always felt like I always said cash was like a, a waiter in a New York restaurant. Like you knew he was there, but you couldn't get your hands on him. Right. And I just, so I was always like, where is this cash? And then eventually like it compounds and it starts becoming a cash machine. And you had kind of responded with some of the challenges you're going through. So kind of want to talk through that today. So just to start, why don't you give us like a state of play of poolology? Like how big are you? What are your main service lines? And like, you know, maybe revenue and people, depending on what you're comfortable revealing. So we started Poolology in 2015 and uh, we were strictly a pool service business. We just did maintenance and equipment repairs. And in 2018, we decided to kind of dip our toe into construction and, and see how it went. And after some success in construction, we've really pivoted to where that's our primary focus. So now we do construction. We build about a hundred pools a year. We renovate pools. We do weekly maintenance and we do equipment repairs. And so at this point, about 80% of the business is construction, 20% is service. We did about 16 million in revenue last year. Uh, we have about 50 people. We subcontract out almost all of the building process. And a lot of those guys primarily work for us. We probably make up about 80% of their business. So there's another 40 to 50 subcontractors that we're 80% responsible for that aren't necessarily a part of the business, but, you know, kind of feel like family to us. Before we dive into right now, I'm kind of curious. So what led to that going from, hey, we're maintenance parts kind of thing into actual construction? So we had this idea, you know, the pool industry is is very fragmented. And so we had this idea that I think a lot of kind of finance guys have that we could take this fragmented industry and put it together and, you know, go in and basically buy out these companies that are selling for 12 months revenue and put them in a bigger package and- Classic roller. Right. right, exactly. Turned out that this business was a little harder than we expected. And uh, it was harder to find people. It was harder to provide quality without being pretty involved in the day-to-day. -day. And so what happened was after about three years, we realized that that idea for us probably wasn't going to materialize the way that we thought it would. And we had a kind of a slow year of growth and service. And so we decided to give construction a try as a, another means to build the business without some of the management intensity of what service required. And so going back, so you said you're about 15, 16, 23. So what about 22? What was the growth like? We did 11 million in 22. Okay, growing healthy. Yeah, we did. Uh, we made an acquisition of a fiberglass installer. 
And so we expanded the product offering to fiberglass and that was the biggest growth driver in 23. So now looking into 24, you got a couple of initiatives. So talk a little bit about, you know, you'd said, hey, we're growing, but we're not seeing the cash. The cash keeps going back out, right? So talk about what are the main drivers of that cash drain? I mean, obviously you did some M&A. That was probably, you know, in the past was, but looking forward, what are you seeing as the biggest investments? So kind of mentioned there was about a $5 million top line growth in 23. In 22, there was a similar growth. It was, I think we went from about seven to 11 the year before that, four to seven. And, you know, it costs a lot of money to grow. So that's the biggest driver, whether it's just reinvesting in the business, whether it's M&A, I think that M&A was the biggest drain on cash in 22. We actually bought another smaller service business to really acquire some talent on the renovation side. So we saw a big cash outlay related to that acquisition. And then we had the second acquisition at the end of the year, which was by far our biggest acquisition. It was a low seven-figure acquisition. We were able to finance about two-thirds of that, but there was a big cash drain from that as well. And then along with that, now we're, we've kind of entered this state of unknown with this new acquisition, plus some unknowns in the economy. But So we weren't exactly sure what to expect for growth in 23, but we staffed for it. And so that was one of the bigger things that really drained cash in 23 was just we're staffed right now to go from 16 to 22, 24. And so taking on that additional overhead, it's just, it hits the bottom line and you don't see cash growth the way that it could have had we potentially not made that acquisition, but also gives us a long runway. So at this point it's, hey, we need to grow into the overhead to right-size the margins. Yeah, so I had this exact same problem, right? I had a little downturn in our, I, I, my main business is government contracting. And we had a little downturn when we lost some work, lots of competition and in my business, like you got big chunks of revenue, right? So like you also lose big chunks of revenue if you lose work, right? And I was kind of redoing the team, trying to get us to the next level. And you get this fundamental decision, like, am I going to start hacking out of my back office to get profitable? Or am I going to trust the growth curve and grow into this? Because first of all, you might not be able to grow without the staff. Second of all, once you grow, then you're trying to hire qualified staff again that you just let go. I just think there's always this fundamental tension in business. Like, are you going to hire ahead? Are you going to do it after? And both have pluses and minuses and they're key things. And like you said, economy is one of them, right? So economy shits the bed. Like <laughs> that's a bad decision. If the economy goes great, then that's a great decision, right? So I think those are just fundamental things every business owner's got to think through. So just a little bit about pools themselves, get an idea. What are your kind of like terms with customers? Like, are you putting out a lot of cash up front and then collecting over time? Like, how does that, does that contribute to the cash flow issues? In the pool industry, actually, most of the cash is up front. So we're usually collecting about 40% of the project when we're finished with excavation. A lot of times, a lot of companies will do 10% down and then 30% when the excavation starts. But generally, you're actually ahead on the cash side. And then what are your terms on it? It's like a completion, it's due or? So we collect the final 10% before we plaster. So plaster is kind of the final step to fill the pool. And we collect that 10% before. So we're actually paid in full before we finish. I love it. So it's like you can see the person sitting there, they're hot. They can see the pool. They can imagine the water in it, but you're not going to be able to let them get in there until they pay that final bill, right? 
you know, it's tough. So it's a place that we find ourselves compromising on sometimes when somebody says, hey, I really don't feel comfortable paying you before you're finished, but it's industry standard. And the reason that it's industry standard is that a lot of people, they have this emotional connection to this project in their backyard. First of all, it's a little bit different from a house in that if you're building a house, you're not living there and watching it as it happens, right? You're probably visiting every few days and kind of seeing progress. In a pool, you're there the entire time seeing progress every single day. And so the little things that go wrong have a larger emotional toll on people. But also, most of the time, they want the swimming pool because they see that it will help them connect with family, uh, help them connect with friends, grandkids. And so finding perfection in this project is very, very important to people. And so unfortunately, the best thing to do is get ahead on the cash side and it minimizes your punch list and kind of helps you get off of the, get off of the project. So it can be, it can be a sensitive subject, but it is the industry standard. And I think that's the reason why. Yeah. Well, dealing with people in their houses and emotions is tough, right? I got it. That's why I like the government, you know, they're kind of just this big monolith. I don't have to, they don't have emotions. But um, so, and then give us a little uh, idea, like profitability of construction and maintenance, if they're different and how that blends. Yeah. So for us, we target the same profit margins in both businesses. We're actually more profitable on the construction side. And the reason is that our overhead's a little more right-sized for that business. On the maintenance side, because of higher turnover, more call-ins, things like that, we just, we overstaff. Try to make sure it goes perfect. Uh, try to make sure that it's not a daily distraction that's pulling managers into the field and things like that. So where we may need 15 or 16 people on the service side, we have 22. We just overstaff and make sure it goes well. So for us, we're running maybe a 5% profit margin on a, even a margin on service. Uh, where construction, we varied from anywhere from 7 to 13%, depending on how how the years go and how uh, staff we are, things like that. So just give you an idea, in 22, we we had an EBITDA margin of 13.5%. This year, it'll be 6 to 7%. And it's just, it's that cash drain topic we were talking about earlier, which is we're staffed to grow to 22 to 25. So we're hoping to grow back into that double digit EBITDA margin. But, you th but still, you're always going to face sort of like low double digit profitability, you, you know, like when it's going right. So... One one thing to consider here is this kind of business. You know, I, I'm a big follower of this guy, Greg Crabtree. I don't know if you've read his book, uh, Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits, but definitely a good read on the finance side. He has some charts that show, um, now you've got a good cash collection cycle, right? So that's a benefit. But the problem is that a, the lower your profitability, the harder it is to get that money back out, right? So he shows at like 30-day terms, um, or I can't remember exactly the terms, but 30 to 40 day terms at when you're in single digits, it can take, it can take a couple of years to get all your money back out. Right. And so the, the, those two factors are really important in that cash conversion cycle, because you, you know, if you're growing, if you're doing acquisition, if you're investing in marketing and your profitability is lower, I mean, obviously there's going to be less cash around to, to, um, to come back out. So that is a factor in these kind of businesses where, you know, if you're running 20 
25% margins, you're kind of getting your money back out a lot, a lot quicker and a lot bigger cash infusions. That's just going to be a reality of a lower profitability business. Um, the other thing I was kind of thinking on, on the service side too, though, was have you guys experimented with any like offshore labor to support that side? We haven't. Yeah. So that's something I would really think about for, and just in my experience, I'm looking at it for my business. We have some restrictions with the government, but, um, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of people now, particularly a lot of guys on X or guys and gals are seeing the possibility of using offshore labor for a lot more than just finance or, you know, like bookkeeping or something like that. And you really got like customer service reps. Like I have a guy who's running a lawn care company here and he's got a bunch of customer service reps out of Colombia, and, um, you know, same time zone tend to be culturally more affiliated with America than maybe an Asian culture. And there he's really been able to bring down his sales. Now they're not going to be able to go out and do an estimation on a property or something like that. Right. Or, or go and actually maintain the pool, obviously. But they can kind of do all the other stuff of setting up the appointment, taking in the inbound calls, that kind of stuff. So it might be something to consider to try to bring up the profitability on that service side. Yeah. You know, I think um, there's a lot of opportunity for us on even just creating a better sales process, right? Just people are calling in now and they're getting a receptionist who's who's not experienced in setting up the appointments and things like that. I, it is a place where we plan to improve in 2024. And I haven't thought about the idea of taking that offshore, but that could make a lot of sense for us. Yeah. Something to consider. I mean, there's some, there's some really good people on X who, who are in that business and they can kind of talk you through what the possibilities are and how they use it. But I do think, and, and to your point, like going through the process is in training people on the sales side is really important, but I do sympathize with this idea that I kind of need to overstaff on the um, service side because there, I mean, we are in a extreme labor shortage and I'm sure you guys are feeling that, right? And people are going to get stolen and you're not going to be able to keep them on forever. And so you're going to have to kind of double up because, or maybe not double up, but you have to overstaff because how far away is it from you going out and cleaning pools, right? So <laughs> for couple of people leave, right? So I got that. I and mean, I assume that's not what you want to be doing in your business is cleaning the pool. So no, and it's, it's been a while, but I've been there for sure. You could still do it if you need to, right? Actually, I, I, I have done some lately. I've gone out with some of the team members and take them out to lunch and then I'm, to, to help them catch up for the day. I'm like, Hey, let's, let's go clean a couple of pools. And, oh, that's cool. I like that. I like that. So let's talk a little bit about going forward 24. So like, what are the goals and then what are the major investments to kind of hit that? So right now, like I said, 23, we did 16 million in revenue. Uh, we've grown by 5 million, about 5 million a year in revenue for the last two years. This year, we're expecting 2 million in revenue growth. So expecting to go from 16 to 18. So we're expecting a little bit smaller of a growth year. And I think that a lot of that is related to kind of a, a revamp of our marketing program as we prepare to expand more south. And so we're in Bell County here in Temple. We want to expand down into Williamson County. You're familiar with the Austin area. So it's Georgetown, Leander, Cedar Park area. But I think in order to be able to do that and do that successfully, we have to revamp the way that we think about marketing. And so in 2020, 
it seemed like there was a lot of opportunity in the market and we engaged a firm called Media to Social. And I'm actually here at Media to Social now in this kind of sweet setup we got. We were commenting that the wall, the, the grass wall was kind of cool. And he was like, well, that's because I'm at the content agency. Right? The creatives have that, right? So we engaged them and they helped us build our brand in the market. And we started putting out more Facebook content, very well branded, great videography, great editing. And we really have been able to rely on that brand to help us grow year by year. But I think at this point, we have to change from just relying on the brand to really getting better at marketing in general and making sure that we're capturing more leads and that we're nurturing those leads through a, a better nurturing process, right? Better ads, better funnels, better email nurturing, and really trying to build some trust with the consumer in a way that takes them through a, a longer kind of nurturing process before we kind of book that first call. And so... A big push in 24 is more leads, not just sales qualified leads, but leads in general that we can nurture over time. And hopefully as we perfect that marketing system, it'll allow us to expand down to that Southern market a little bit more and, and grow quickly in that market. Yeah. So you're, you know, you're kind of going, looking at the customer journey, right? Over. So talk a little bit. So you mentioned Facebook ads. Is that sort of the primary like top of funnel type of uh, thing you do? It, that and paid search. Paid search, okay. You know, one thing to look at is um, Chris, is it, I think it's Chris Hoffman on X. He did a really good post on, like a big long sort of blog post on um, how he would go about doing a, a home service business today. And basically what he said is I go look at like all these groups like Nextdoor and Facebook groups and, you know, all the places where our neighbors are and kind of see who's active in them and then like what kind of services are are being talked about and like are there now he was trying to decide between pool service and tree service and blah 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 but it's kind of something you might be able to adapt is like looking at where are there people who are there there's some gaps in the market where hey maybe down in georgetown there's a bunch of pool people talking about stuff in these groups or advertising or whatever it is but maybe in the county to the west of that there there isn't so he was kind of there's i'll try to find it and send it to you but he was really talking about doing like this very data-driven thing like where's the hole in the market for this service i like that i've seen a lot of his content lately and he man what he puts out is fire yeah, he's totally killing it, man. I mean, I'm like, I like, I see guys like that. I'm like, I suck at business. Like, this guy is amazing. But I think that one thing to look at, because like, this is not, my business is not, you know, we do not do Facebook, you know, we're talking to big government agencies. So we're like, we're talking more to teammates and, and we're doing like, this is like in-person face-to-face stuff. Like it's not, no one's going to read a Google, no one's going to search for us on Google, read a blog and then want to work with us. That doesn't, I mean, maybe, but that almost never happens. So my expertise is definitely not in that customer journey starting, you know, with some kind of internet search or, or Facebook or whatever. But it, w- it does strike me that going to these guys like Chris, or there's a few others who really get that process, like is Facebook the right place? Is this, is Instagram better? Should you be in next door? Where are those critical places for you to be a part of this kind of like the key first thing? So you make sure, you know, your market spend is being done correctly. You know, one thing we did do is we, like I said, we kind of revamped the way we thought about marketing. And so media to social was doing all of that for us. And this year they'll only do our content creation. And we, we plan to do a lot more content creation. And so about three times as much, but 
We also went, we found a fractional CMO to help us with ads and funnels and really tried to find that expertise and add it to the team. Also moved our website into a more SEO focused company to try to make sure that we we're capitalizing on the SEO side of things too. So crucial, crucial thing here. I, I want to point out a couple of things that you just said that are, I think, genius. Okay. So first of all is as you grow, your service providers have to change, right? And it sounds to me like some you're like, hey, I need you to be targeted more toward this and not do this other stuff. And some you're like, hey, I got to move on from this and get somebody who's more SEO focused or whatever it is. So I think for all other business owners out there, you cannot stay with the same people forever. I mean, there might be some exceptions, like one or two things, but most things, you once you upgrade, you need to upgrade the service provider, just like you need to upgrade your team, right? So that's really crucial. The second thing is I am a huge fan at this point. I need to do a post about this. I haven't done it yet about these fractional C-level people. And like when you confront a big problem in your business, like, hey, I need more leads. I assume your background, you talked about your more finance background, is that right? You're not a marketing guy, right? And you can go read a bunch of marketing books, but you're never going to be like an amazing marketing guy. But you can go hire someone and, and, and hiring like the highest level marketing person, that's going to be a huge cost for a company of your size, right? So, but you can get somebody for a day or two week or, you know, whatever the service level is who can give you access to that high level thinking which in reality is probably a day or two a week and then the rest of it is all like implementation stuff right that it, that you or anybody else could do or your offshore resource can do so talk a little bit about how did you identify the cmo like and source them so i was actually going to take a lot of it on myself and i did read a lot of marketing books i started feeling a little nervous about my bandwidth, right? My ability to execute that plus the other CEO um, responsibilities that I have. And so we had worked with a sales consultant. His name's Mike Manzai. And Mike had used this guy and recommended him. And I took a call kind of reluctantly because I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really know if I do want to outsource this. Like I really want to own a lot of it because I want to try some things that maybe unconventional and I don't want somebody pushing back on me. But then I jumped on the phone with this guy and all the things I thought were unconventional. And so he was like four steps ahead of you. You're like, yeah, yeah, we already did that. I only took the one call and I considered taking more, right? Like maybe I need to interview for this more. But when I spoke with this guy, it was just, it was absolutely clear that he was the right fit for us. Right, right decision. I 100% believe that you made the right decision. I mean, this is my thing too. It's like, I have killed my company's growth so many times by being like, hey, I'm going to go do this other thing that I have no experience in and probably not suited to do. Or like something that'll be like, hey, we need to really consistently uh, blog. So why don't we take the most inconsistent person in the world, me, and have me try to be consistent? I'm like, oh, I'm going to change this time, right? So, I mean, come on, this is not happening. So, as soon as you can afford it and you see this, I always say it's like, where is the pain coming from? Like, seems like from you, you're like, why don't we have more leads? I cannot get more leads. So that's the pain. And then you got to say, look, I need to go get somebody who knows how to solve that pain, not learn. Yes, it's important. I think it's also good for you to learn about marketing, learn from this guy so that you can be a better judge of other marketing products and services and stuff like that. But for you to become a marketing person, is crazy, right? That's not... That's not going to scale your company. And so I think 100%. But how would you characterize like the difference from what you guys were doing before? I think the biggest thing is just 
It's his ability to focus on it. So with the firm that was doing everything, they were doing everything and, and making sure they got the boxes checked and it was helping. And I didn't, you know, I didn't realize exactly how much they were doing until I started trying to fragment it out. And I was having to, you know, reassign accounts and things like that. And I was like, man, these guys were, they were really handling this for us. We were really hands off, but just putting the focus with one person that now we just have one person focused on ads and we just have one team focused on SEO. And then we have one team focused on content. I think that's the biggest difference. The team we have was capable, but their focus was too widespread. And so just getting these guys to just focus on what they're good at and, you know, really grow that one piece of, of marketing that we want to, that we want to grow is, uh, I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah. Well, I, I, my experience in marketing has always been particularly, I mean, I haven't worked with the biggest of the biggest, but I bet they're kind of similar is that they're really good at one thing or two things that the owner is really good at or the main partner or whatever. And then everything else is sort of adequate, but, or, or bad <laughs> to be honest, and they can kind of cover that up. Right. And so this all in one comprehensive thing, I get it when you're smaller, you might, you might not have the bandwidth to manage multiple vendors or you might, you know, you might get a discount on the price. So you don't have any choice, but as you grow, you got to pull those things apart because they're just, they're such different disciplines. And the guy at an SEO agency, the guy who's really good at Facebook ads or something like that is going to be always like team B or C. So they're just going to leave and go to a place where they're team A. So you just, you know, may, maybe some of these big places can do it, but I even doubt that. So, all right. So marketing is a big focus. So you pulled it apart, got specialty vendors, put a qualified person on top, kind of quarterback all that. Um, and I assume you got some like measures and you got a budget in place for that for the next year. And then what else are you looking at? Is marketing the main thing or? Yeah. And just to give you a quick rundown on the marketing piece, we're also trying to significantly enhance the customer experience in order to grow referrals. So we'll put a referral program in place as a part of that and, and try to get into more of a rhythm of creating small wins for the customer. Cause in a construction process, it takes us about 15 weeks from contract signed to being completely finished. And so trying to create regular small wins where they can feel the work that's being done for them, but also so regularly asking for feedback during that process and trying to kind of create the mindset that we're worth referring and then introducing a good referral program is something that we'll do. There's a few other marketing pieces. Might have to just send you the marketing plan, but that's a big one. No, that's all right. That's all right. I think, you know, we got the highlights there. I mean, the other thing I was thinking while you are talking is like, have you guys ex experimented with ever doing like the customer testimonial with their pool and like showing it? I thought that would be really effective. Yeah, we, uh, we do. We have some of those on our website. We try to shoot about two a month. They're a great content piece. They're, they're one of the biggest, most watched content pieces that we put out. And then, so is marketing really your main push then for the year? It is the main push. We have some other, you know, significant goals around training, trying to set up a really world-class training program, trying to implement better strategies around renovations and equipment repairs, trying to prep those for future growth. But marketing is the big push. Okay. On marketing. So then what is your goal like for the year? Like you want it to come out with X number of new leads or, and that translates into Y growth and revenue. Exactly. So last year we produced about 19 new construction leads per week on average. Of course, there's some seasonality to that, but uh, this year we need to produce 25. 
to get it to where we want to be. 25. How, and, and if you get a lead, how many like out on average convert to a sale? About 13% convert to a signed contract. Okay. And you said that that takes from, you said it's 15 weeks from signed contract to completion or is it 15 weeks from lead? From signed contract. So from lead, there's, a, there's about a three week period between. Okay. So it's quick. Yeah, pretty quick. And it can go a little faster, but you know, it's, it's kind of at the customer's pace too. Right. So if you're doing, so you said it was 19 and you want to get it to 25, is that right? That's right. So you want 40 new customers over the year? 40 new pools is what we need. And what's an average pool revenue? About a hundred thousand. That's pretty nice. I like it. I mean, it's, that's going to be on pace for growth, all organic, right? Right. Uh, a little more background on how we decide on that. We actually had this huge lead spike last summer. We had a super hot summer in Texas. I think that actually helped and we could just kind of watch uh, for the first time we were tracking leads and conversions really well. And we watched the contracts and how they coincided with the generated leads. And it just became really, really clear to us that there was this huge correlation between the amount of leads we were producing, which seems like a no brainer. But when you're operating day to day in a smaller market, you start to believe that your brand's producing a lot of this and not your marketing or your connections. And, and so it just became really, really clear that if we could produce more leads, then we can make more sales and that that's where we need to focus our time. That's an interesting thing. So do you guys look at seasonality for spend? Like, like, is it better to save money and spend more in like June through August? than to spend it in February? I don't know yet. That'll be interesting. We'll spend five to seven times more on ads this year than we did last year. And so I think having that larger data set and that larger sample size will clear a lot of that up for us. Did you spend a lot more during the summer last year? We didn't, no. Same amount, we spent flat all year. So my take would be, there's a natural rhythm to that market, right? That's dictated by the temperatures. I don't think it's getting any cooler in Texas, by the way. So I. This is global warming is your friend. So it might be something to talk through with the CMO to say like, hey, should we be taking, should we, you know, if this is going to be this massive increase during the summer, maybe it'll be five to seven times our advertising, we get, you know, 10 times the leads during those couple months. That'd be really interesting to start looking at the seasonality and investing into it because, you know, I think people like having regular investments that they can kind of program and not think about too much. But uh, it strikes me that the market's just totally different in July than it is. And I mean, you're sitting there with your wife and you're sweating your ass off and your kids are miserable. I mean, and you go to like whatever public pool and it's like a disaster. And like you are going to, you are a motivated customer with, with pain, right? So strike me that the more you spend then the, you know, you're going to kill it. So anyway, just a, something to consider. I like that. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. And then, um, let's go, so let's go to the training. So I'm curious, like, what's like the labor situation for you guys? Is it, I mean, you have a lot of subs sounds like, but is it this constant? I mean, I know a lot of people are at the, I assume you're at the lower end of the wage scale. It is just tough to find people. It has been, it's getting better. We didn't have a problem until COVID hit and then we lost a lot of our workforce and we were kind of fighting to keep it together and made a big adjustment to the way we were paying people. Uh, increased wages by 33%, maybe. I'm sure, did your pool price go up 33%? We ate it for the first year and a half or so. And, you know, then fuel skyrocketed. We held our price down as long as we could. And then at some point we had to make a big adjustment. We lost some customers from it, but it's what we needed to do to uh, create the workforce that we needed, the stability we needed. But it, it is getting better. 
we actually really saw the service group stabilize this year, particularly in Q4. We had 76% turnover in Q1, which is outrageous. And, and we pay well. We have a benefit, great benefits plan. We treat people well, but just huge turnover in Q4. Are they getting poached? Or are they just going off somewhere and doing something else? A little bit of both, but a lot of it's just they're going off and doing something else. But we, we haven't turned anybody over in Q4. And we saw this constant stabilization throughout the year. Now, I think part of that is the market and just there's maybe less jobs, maybe just people are getting used to going back to work a little bit more. Part of that is a great management team. We've got some really strong leaders in that group right now, but we're definitely seeing some things stabilize. That's good. And I, you know, so you talked about training, you know, sort of the idea I've had is like, I, I have this little acronym I call Adam for, you know, like, again, to go back to this guy, Greg Crabtree, he said, you know, they do, they're a financial kind of consultant across multiple industries for small business. And they, so they see these trends like nobody else. And his take was like, we ran out of labor in 2019. So we forget right before the pandemic, unemployment was well below 4%. But then we had this disruption during the pandemic where it went up and then it came back down and it's been you know crazy. But basically his point is we're at 3.5 to 4, low fours of unemployment going forward with maybe some variation with the recession. But it's going to always go back. We're not making new people. So it's always going to go back to this. And so the businesses that are going to succeed are the ones that do the four things in Adam, which is automation. So automate anything back office, blah, blah, blah. And you're, in your business, you have a lot of physical stuff, so it's a little harder. But then, you know, the T is train. So you got to be able to get somebody who's not qualified to qualify it as fast as possible. And so investing in training just strikes me as like that is a no-brainer process. And, you know, you got to have the process there to train to. Then offshore, right? So offshore anything you can. Because, I mean, we're, that, that's a temporary solution because we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. There's no more labor going online in the third world, but at least there's some for now. And then you've got to measure and manage your labor. So you've got to know exactly what it costs you and what that labor produces. And when you train them, how much better they get. And then have everything you do in your business based on those that measurement of what they're doing. Because like one of the things I always say is like, you cannot afford to have B and C players on your team anymore. Because the reality is an A player probably produces 10 times more than a B player. But you don't pay them 10 times more. You probably pay them 25% more, if that. So my take is going forward, you got to ruthlessly get rid of the Bs and just collect As and train people. Maybe you can train some people from B to A. Usually it's a mindset, but sometimes not. So it's really these focuses on like, I've got to be ruthless in my labor spend because it's just not going to get any better. And I saw a commentator the other day who's a financial guy, Wall Street you know, guy, and he was like, look, when you're at 3.7% or whatever it is now unemployment, that means that every marginal person coming into the labor force is going to get paid more and it's going to be worse at their job because you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. And that's just a reality that I think all business owners need to need to focus on. So I think, you know, doing this thing with training, absolutely crucial to the future. You know, and it, it goes a little beyond that. Just that people that we bring in, we, we want to make sure we set them up for success and a career of anything pool if that's what they want to do. And so, I mean, we, we're called poolology, right? So we want to make sure that if you come in and you decide to study pools, that we give you that absolute best experience. Yeah. And you guys are doing some stuff on the 401k side as well. Is that right? Yeah. So we have a kind of a 
full benefits package. Um, we pay for employee health insurance. We offer a 401k. And then last year, for the first time ever, we were able to contribute to our employee profit sharing plan, which is, yeah, it's tied into the 401k. So it's a, you know, it's a long-term savings plan, but um, we were able to make a $50,000 contribution. Uh, and we hope that that continues to grow. But for some team members, it added four to $5,000 into their 401ks. And actually the, the number one qualifier that gets you the most money out of that profit sharing plan is, do you contribute to your 401k? Because we want to help people who basically who find saving for retirement important to them. Yeah, and so someone can come in and work for you for a period of time and they can walk out a millionaire, right? If they do the right kind of saving. That's the goal is that we can bring these entry-level pool service technicians in and if they contribute to their 401k, maximize their match. And if we're able to continue to contribute to this profit sharing plan that at retirement age or before that they could retire a millionaire. Yeah, so I think this is really important point too is, so I found in my business, we employ a lot of younger people who are coming out of college or right after grad school, and they kind of come work for us for three to five years. They do not care about their retirement benefits, right? So like I, I was really motivated. I was like, hey, why don't we profit share into their 401ks? They couldn't care less about that, right? They're like, give me money now, you know? And I totally get it. I'm not saying they're wrong. So we really had to de-emphasize that and um, put more money into salary and less into retirement. But what I love about what you're doing is you're really saying, no, I want this long-term commitment from people. I want the people who think, so I'm, I'm selecting for the short-term thinker. That's, you know, now that changes a little bit when they become executives. And so we do some stuff, you know, there, because there we want them to think long-term. But we really, you know, like there's a lot of people that come to us. If they didn't go to grad school, they're gonna go to grad school. They're 23, 24, you know, trying to tell them they're going to be a government contractor for the rest of their life is like nonsense. They're not going to listen to me. So that's that's my market. So I just have to adapt to it. And we, we have a lot of that, too. And, and we actually offer a rolling out a benefit plan this month to attack the short term savings piece. But I do love this idea like, hey, look, I can paint you a vision of how you can move up the chain. You can make this money. You can retire a millionaire. Right. I mean, that's got to really mean something to a lot of people, you know, not college educated. You know, they're in a lot of a lot of people tend to be in very short term work that kind of changes a lot. And, you know, so I, th I think it's really interesting. I think it'll be be curious to hear how it goes and how you get what kind of response you get back. It did resonate with the team. And so we, we only had about a 30 percent participation in the 401k plan. And when they understood that the number one qualifier to receive an a larger allocation is to participate, that's almost doubled since we announced it. Oh, my gosh. Well, like every financial advisor in the country is going to like uh, highlight your company now because I love that stuff. Well, I, I do want to tell you one more thing about a, a short-term benefit plan that we offer or a short-term savings account. So I recognize that too, is that a lot of the people that come into our business, they don't need help saving for retirement. They need help saving right now. And so this month we're rolling out a short-term savings plan that matches dollar for dollar. It's uh, up to $30 a check. So each year we can help people save about $1,500 and we're matching their short-term savings using a, a company called SecureSave is what I think it's called. They have a platform, they go in, they log in and they set their deductions and then we match it. And so that was the angle we took on 
hey, there's a group of younger folks who are more interested in money now and that also may not have a, a thousand extra dollars in the bank for when they need a car repair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have that stat that some crazy percent in the majority of Americans can afford a thousand dollar expense or something like that. Yeah. It's, that's great. I think that's awesome. Um, good to hear that. I might look into that myself. Well, great. So this has been awesome kind of getting an idea of where the business is. So the goal is for you guys for next year is like 19, 20, 20 million. The goal is 18. Yeah, I guess that when we kind of ran those numbers that translated to a little bit more kind of off the top of our head there. But when we put in the spreadsheet, it's it's adding about two million in revenue into the, the top line. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, this has been great. So I'd love to check in. We'll see maybe six months, 12 months, see where you are on it, see how the marketing's going. I'd really I think this is a really important point that I'd love to see how that plays out once you learn from that. Cause uh, I think a lot of people are struggling with marketing, you know, it's the old John Wanamaker, I'm a Philly boy, so I remember this, John Wanamaker quote, uh, you know, half my marketing is wasted, I just don't know what half, which half, right? So, um, you know, I'd love to love to check back in on that and then just see how things are going in general. But um, awesome, it's been great to catch up and it was awesome learning about the pool business. Yeah, absolutely. And whenever you're ready, I'd love to come back and share and let you know how things are going. All right, well, uh, we will talk to you soon and have a good one, Malcolm. Thanks, Helen. You've been listening to the Small Business Mentor Podcast, brought to you by Alan Pence. For more insights on how to navigate your business through its black holes, visit at APence on X. Don't forget to search for Small Business Mentor in your podcast app to subscribe. Thank you for joining us, and here's to your next leap in business growth.